We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That guy right there is Ryan Roberts. I'm Brian Driscoll. Let's get rocking and rolling, Ryan, because today we've got some offensive line recruiting we need to talk about. And it's been a busy month for Notre Dame when it comes to recruiting offensive linemen. Going to be an even busier month. They've already hosted several talented offensive linemen in the 2023 and 2024 classes. And they've got some big-time prospects still on the board. So we're going to break it all down for you today. But, Ryan, I thought it'd be smart for us to really begin by talking about really what what is Notre Dame looking for when it comes to offensive line recruiting in this class. And I, I think that's something that needs to be discussed because, you know, it's 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 an interesting situation for Notre Dame, in my view, in that there's a there's a – they've landed a couple good classes in a row – but I still feel this is a really important class for some really important reasons. And we'll kind of get into that as we dive into this show. And, you know, for me, I think right now, Notre Dame's target numbers four, I think they could get to five. If the right fifth guy wanted to come, meaning just a guy that you just can't say no to, but four is the target number. And there's a chance that they're going to be close to done with that by early May. A chance. It's not a given. They got to close. And then you look at sort of the rest of this, and it's about okay, you've got some talented guys. You're in a really good position with a lot of talented guys, but you're not necessarily the clear out in front leader, no brainer leader for anybody except maybe one player. So it's going to be very interesting, and they're going to have to close. But I want to first talk about the makeup of this class, Ryan, because it's not just about landing four talented players. I really believe that Notre Dame has to have a great class of tackles. And I mean guys that can no doubt play tackle. That doesn't mean guys like Jarrett Patterson no doubt could play tackle at Notre Dame. There's not a doubt in my mind. He moved to center because it was the fastest way in the field. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it can't be a class with a bunch of Tommy Kramers and Aaron Bankses who were really good players. And I believe Tommy Kramer would have had a much better Notre Dame career if not for the injuries. That's why his best season was his red shirt freshman season when he was a starter on the 
a team that you know that, that won the Joe Moore Award, right, as a tackle. But he was more of an interior player. The reason I say that is because Notre Dame finds itself in a unique situation. You don't often look at a team with a true sophomore starting offensive lineman and say, you got to start preparing to replace those guys now. And when you look at all the great offensive linemen that Notre Dame has had the last decade under Harry Heastand, and then obviously guys that he recruited to Notre Dame, none of them left after three years. None of them. Zach Martin was a five-year player. Chris Watt was a five-year player. Nick Martin was a five-year player. Ronnie Stanley was a four-year player. Quentin Nelson was a four-year player. McGlinchey and Eichenberg were both five-year players. Hainsey was a four-year player. Banks was a four-year player. You're, I, I have a very hard time seeing this, this duo of Joe Alt and Blake Fisher being both of them four-year players. Now, maybe one is, but right now it's like if the way that they're playing, the fact that their careers got started so early, especially Alt, who started so much last year at left tackle, Ryan, we're not predicting that they're both going to leave after 2023, but you have to start recruiting like it's a it's a legitimate possibility. And that puts a lot of pressure on this 2023 class because this group will be freshmen when those players are juniors. And if they leave, then you don't want to recruit 2024 to have to have true freshmen come in and play. And so when you look at that, it's it's a it's it puts a lot of pressure on it, combined with the fact that last year's class, Ryan, as good as it was. There's only one guy in that class that I know for a fact is definitely going to be able to play tackle, and that's Emil Wagner, and he's a guy that we have concerns about. Can he fill out enough? If he can, you're good. You got one guy there. Caleb Johnson's a a developing player, but the depth at the position could get real, real tricky and and a lack of competitiveness because the numbers of pure tackles is not great, especially if Alt and or Fisher leave early. So that puts a lot of pressure on Notre Dame to get at least two guys that no doubt about it can play tackle in this class. Yeah, I I think it's interesting you talk about the string of guys that have not been third-year players to leave early for the NFL. But I think when you look at a guy like a Blake Fisher, for instance, right? Like 6'6", 330 pounds coming out of high school with the length that he has and the athleticism he has, although he's only played two football games, that doesn't come around very often, right? So the there's going to also be the there's going to be a label on him, right? He's a Harry, he's a Harry Heastan coached offensive lineman who's in theory is going to be a two-year starter and would have been a three-year starter if he was not hurt during the freshman year. So you're looking at him. And those guys just don't come around very often. And then, Brian, I mean, yes, Joe Walt was a guy that kind of surprised us in year one. But right now, it sounds like he's the best player on this offensive line during the spring. He's having the best spring, for sure. That's one of the things we had in our intel piece at Irish Breakdown last week. That's why and you should be a, a member of the board. I'm sorry. I had yes. to say it, Ryan. Had to say no, it. No, it's, it's a clean plug, man. It's clean. I mean, you would, you would know all those little inside information. And he's going to be a player that two years from now, in theory, again, He's a three-year starter because he started a, a large portion of, of his freshman year. So I'm going to count that as, as a full year as a starter, right? So if you want to count it two and a half years, whatever. Either way, like you said, what is the next wave of offensive tackles? You need to start figuring that out right now. And I agree. Like we talk about the one guy that is, and I know we're going to go a little more in depth on him in a minute here, but Charles Jagasaw is a player that we both like and we both think love. is going to is, yeah. is love. Yeah, is going to end up most likely at Notre Dame, at least he, they, if they close properly on him. And I think, and we've been back and forth on this, 
I think he can play tackle. I know you really think he can play tackle, but I also think that his ability to kind of grow into where he fits is what I really want to see. I don't want to necessarily pigeonhole him into he's a tackle only. I want him to play a multitude of positions if possible. So that's why I think you have to get at least one true offensive tackle in this class outside of Charles Jackson. It's a necessity. We don't disagree on that at all, Ryan. I, I think that, that for me, it's more of a I, – I have more certainty that he can athletically play tackle. But I've said this several times. There's Quentin Nelson is a guy that athletically flat out would have been a really good college offensive tackle. But his demeanor wasn't suited for – not it wasn't suited for tackle. It was better suited inside. That's the point you're making. It's not that he can't do it. It's that – you want to have the option of if he could be a really good right tackle, but an elite first round draft pick at guard, you need to have the roster potential to be able to move him inside where his game is best. And you've got someone also that's really good that you can slide into tackle. That's that's the key part of it. But I also think that you want to give Jagasaw the best chance you can at tackle because of the fact that the class ahead of him is filled with so many interior players. You can't rush that process. And so, but the point is and this is what you're getting to, he can't be your only for sure tackle in the class. You need at least one other pure tackle in the class. And so people need to keep that in mind as they're evaluating this class, because even though we're both fans of what Harry Heastan does, he's going to get evaluated the same way Jeff Quinn was. And, and that is, look, I think you're a great coach, but you're you're judged off your results, right? And so this upcoming class is going to be our first chance to kind of reevaluate you know, what Coach Quinn brings or what Coach Heastan brings to the table as a recruiter. We know what he did the first stint, but he's got a he, – you can't just assume he's going to do it this next time. So, so far, the, the reports are good. This isn't a concern. This isn't a, a, a waving a, a flag of concern. It's just stating this is how it's – this is how it is. So, when you look at the board right now, Ryan, outside of Jagasaw, I feel better about Notre Dame's chances to land some of the players that project to be inside guys more so than tackles. But it also is why the month of April is so important. We talked about this last week, how important the month of April is because you've got one guy for sure that is going to be visiting at the end of the month. That is the best pure left tackle, in my opinion, on the board, even over Samson Okanlola, because Samson Okanlola is a lot like Charles Jagasaw in my evaluation. That I, you know, could he be a left tackle? Yeah. Could he be a right tackle? Yeah. Could he maybe even be better guard? Oh, oh yeah. Whereas Monroe Freeling is left tackle. I mean, that is that is where he can play. So it does put a lot of pressure on the staff to say, look, you got to close. And you're as we go through these players, there's going to be one school in particular that Notre Dame is going to have to beat at least twice if they're going to have the kind of offensive line class that they're capable of, Ryan. So like again, I I predict that there's going to be at least four talented players in this class. My only concern slash hesitation slash question now is, will there be enough pure tackles in the class? And again, that's not saying that they're not going. It's just saying that's the that's the big thing that needs to get answered in this mm-hmm. class when it comes to putting the offensive line all together. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to force square pegs in the round holes, right? Like, you just don't want to do it. Like, the Notre Dame has gotten off to a, a good start as far as this month for the offensive line that have come on campus. Like, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about Austin Saraveld out of Ohio, which I thought they had a really nice uh, visit, obviously, with him. And he's a guy that projects more favorably inside a guard, like you're saying. 
this past weekend. You just had um, you just had the young man that just got an offer a couple weeks ago, in um, and his name's escaped me for whatever reason right now. Sam Pendleton. Sam Pendleton. Yeah. Sorry, he's only he's only been on the board for a few weeks here, but he got offered in the middle of March, and in only a couple weeks made his decision. Like, I need to go check out Notre Dame. And the first time I talked to him, Brian, the, the quote was. Notre Dame has been a school that I've been wanting to hear from since recruiting began, right? So this is a team that Sam Pendleton has a high opinion of. They, oh, Coach Heastan is certainly, I mean, you could see the, the photo that he posted with Coach Heastan. There's certainly a lot of respect given to Coach Heastan and what he's been able to do with developing offensive linemen. But he is also a player that projects more favorably inside a guard. I also think that he could even play center because, I mean, for me, and I know we're going to get a little more in-depth on, on each of the guys, I think Cerevelt has a body to play tackle. I just think he has a demeanor to play guard, right? Pendleton's yeah. a little different. I think it's he has definitely has a demeanor to play inside a guard, but I also just don't think he has a ton of length. Like I just don't see him right. as a not tackle, tackle length, not for what Harry exactly. Houston looked for. My wife likes to think of herself as a coffee expert. So when we decided to give trade coffees a try, she was excited to see what they had to offer. And we were not disappointed. After figuring out a short quiz that matches you with just the right coffee. We received the Holmes blend from Sparrow's Coffee in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The Nostalgia Series blend that she received from Sparrow's Coffee made an immediate impression as soon as she opened the box. And once she brewed the Holmes blend the next morning, she was able to enjoy a rich, smooth cup of coffee with a very robust flavor. My wife is quite picky about her coffees, but you can be sure that she'll once again be buying from Sparrow's Coffee and we'll be going back to Trade Coffee for another shot at getting a tasty blend from a regional company. You have to give Trade's Coffee a try. Trade's coffee team actually tastes thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send a brand new bag for free. What we learned is that Trade Coffee send you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters. Small businesses who pay farmers fair prices to substantially source the greatest beans from around the world. Trade's Coffee's experts personally taste over 450 roasts, so they know exactly what to recommend for you. Just answer a couple of questions, and you get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as soon as you like. No gimmicks. Trade delivers a fresh bag of roasted coffee as whole beans or ground for however you brew it at home. And they guarantee you'll love your first order or they'll replace it for free. Trade has delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee. And right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus shipping when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So again, it's gonna it's gonna now there's some guys that are on the board that are down the road guys like Elijah Page, who I really like a tackle, but he's another guy that you know would I call him a pure left tackle? No, no, probably not. Now, the one thing that eases some of my concerns, I'll be honest with you, is I have I have more confidence that Emil Wagner is gonna reach his full potential at Notre Dame now than I did three, four, five, four or five months ago. So that that you know, it's not just Matt Bayless, but it's also the Harry Heastan presence. So Let's dive into this, Ryan. Let's jump into the board, right? Let's talk about each guy. We'll kind of go through and give you the latest of where things stand and, and kind of what our thoughts are in regards to Notre Dame being able to put this class together. And it starts with it starts with the guy you brought up at the beginning, right? It's Charles Jackasol, right? Like he is the top guy on the board right now in regards to the combination of you're in the best place, elite talent you know, high upside, local, I mean, been on campus twice. Everything is headed in the right direction for Charles Jagasaw. He was on campus this weekend from talking to Sean, who has been in contact with Charles, his mom, and his head coach. Sounds like Notre Dame absolutely did what they needed to do, which is to knock knock the visit absolutely out of the park. He did a tremendous job this past weekend of, I think, selling the program and doing their thing. And because and, – I think there's always been a ton of, of of there's been a ton of interest from Charles's side, but obviously meeting coach he's stand and getting a little more in depth into just kind of the flow of a practice and just seeing everything firsthand. I feel like that really sold Charles on this is what Notre Dame can offer. And I know he's been a guy, Brian, that we've talked about. Like, I mean, I honestly would have predicted already, or at least a couple of weeks from now out, that he would be in the class. But it, the question is. When is he going to make that commitment? I feel really good, though, I'll say, after the visit, that Charles Jagasaw, I, I would say Notre Dame is is his leader. Pretty, pretty. I want to say substantially, but they are the leader in the clubhouse right now. I know he likes Iowa. I know he's you know talked to a couple other schools. But I really do think that Notre Dame is in a very good, a good place with him right now. I just I'm at the point now where look here's some other contenders right it's Iowa is probably the biggest threat to Notre Dame right at Michigan he visited Michigan after he went to Notre Dame Miami's been making a run at him but this is going to be one where I, I think Notre Dame would have to do something wrong to not get him at this point in time just from everything we've heard he's Catholic he goes to a Catholic high school I believe Sean said that his dad's a Catholic priest or something like that. Like I forget, like some kind of some kind of situation like that works at the Catholic Church, something along those lines. You know, so so to me, that one's one that's that's one where of all the players on the board, that's the one I'm most confident in. And look, I think Landon Charles Jagasaw is important in two two ways. Number one, you're getting a really good football player. You're getting a top hundred player. I have him, Ryan, as a as a top seven fifty to seventy five type guy now, because he's so raw. He's he he has the he has a legitimate five star upside. There's no doubt about that. 
he's definitely uh, he's definitely a, a, a five star guy upside wise. And then when you look at to me, a guy like him has more value now. Again, it just comes down to because Harry Heastan is back. I always got nervous when you got these like high ceiling guys and needed a lot of work that came in the last few years. I'm just going to be honest with you guys like Tosh Baker I, made me nervous because it just, are they going to be, uh, are they going to be going to be able to go out and kind of, um, all right, having a little technical issues. I'm, I'm getting fixed now, but are they going to be able to go out and, and be developed the way they need to? And and with Harry, he's you're like, okay, this is the kind of player you want to get because he's big, he's physical. He's a really good run blocker already. He has potential as a pass blocker. He just doesn't do it a whole lot in high school. And, as you know, Ryan, at any level, pass blocking and and requires far more technique than run blocking in regards to just – in high school, you can just go out and physically beat people up in the run game. I don't care who you're going against. Pass blocking requires a little bit more technique. So the tools are there. On three has him ranked as the number seven player in the country. That's too high for me right now just because he is raw. But I also can't say they're nuts – for having him there, because if you're going to base this all on upside, okay, cool. I get it. I'd still probably have him more in the 20 to 25 range from an upside standpoint, but it just goes to show that, that they're not just making this up, right? Like clearly someone right or wrong sees elite potential and Notre Dame certainly does. They, this was a, one of the kids that Harry, he the moment he got hired. This is one of the very first kids that he was like, that guy, we got to get that guy. And it says a lot about them that uh, that they've pushed as hard as they have for him. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that the upside is just fantastic for a guy like a Jack. So I would argue, Brian, I don't know if you agree with this, but out of all the offensive linemen I've watched in this cycle, not even just including Notre Dame targets on the board, I think Charles Jackson has one of the higher upsides just in the class in general. So I, I can get on that that wavelength as far as a 20 to 25 player on just based on true upside. Cause I think when you're talking from a body perspective, I mean, the kid is six, six over 300 pounds and it's clean, man. Like I was talking to Brian before the show. And if anybody watched Trey Smith during his career at Tennessee, like I, that's, that's who I envision him as far as from a body type perspective. Like I could see him being 330, 335, just being a massive dude, like not fat, just a massive dude. Like I could just see Charles Jagasaw developing into that player. And Trey Smith was the same way though. Played some offensive tackle, played majority inside a guard. I think he could do both, just kind of like the way I think that Jagasaw can do both. And I'm curious to see just kind of the physical development he has because there are quick feet on film. There are great hands on film because he's an all-state wrestler. And, and there is just tremendous upside with the Charles Jagasaw. And he's a must-get, in my opinion, in this class right now because, like you said, he's the only – I don't want to say the only prospect you feel good about with Notre Dame, but he's the only prospect that you would say – Notre Dame is the clear leader, in my opinion, that for a guy that is a true that could be a true tackle at the next level. And you know how important Dante Smore is to this class because we're talking about offensive linemen and nobody's talking about what we're talking about in, in the chat. It's just all Dante Moore. So it's just like, all right, we're not doing Dante Moore shows every day. And we don't need the chats to be about Dante Moore every day. So <laughs> let's uh let's try and stay on topic. All right. Uh it's like herding. Never mind. I'm not going to say it. Well, well, well um, I mean, Brian, we're talking about the kid that you just said is the number seven player in the class. Of right. Three and it's we not interesting talk enough him. to talk about because Dante Moore is not committed yet. So it's just like, okay, whatever. Um, and then uh, when when you look at this one, Ryan, you know, look, we know where that one is going to be. Notre Dame has hosted several other kids on campus. Another guy that, that 
that I think Notre Dame, they're in a position to close on over the next month. And that's Austin Saraveld from Ohio. Biggest kid on the board, and it's not close. I mean, he's listed at 6'5", 315, and he's every bit of that. I mean, he is a big, big boy. Moves well for – I mean, when I saw his size, I was like, this guy is going to be a big, sloppy – you know, and he's not. He's a, I mean, he's just big. You know, he's, it reminds me – He's not Quentin Nelson, but mm-hmm. right. This is not about a style of play, but you know, Quentin, you'd look at Quentin. He just had like these big, broad shoulders and, and Austin says, that's kind of how Austin, he's not a fat kid. Like when I think six, five, three, 15 from Ohio, I think he's going to be a big sloppy chubby kid and he's not, he's just big. And Notre Dame has done a great job with him. He was considered all, but an Ohio state lock for a while. Notre Dame got him on campus. I think they they had him on campus first time back in January when he when he got to meet Coach Eastan. It was right after Coach Eastan got hired. Came back again the first Saturday of April and got to watch a practice. Uh, really came away impressed. And now he's talking about coming back again for the Blue Gold game. If they can convince him to be back on again, he told me that he's going to be on campus for the Blue Gold game. Ohio State's going to do their best to make sure that he's not. If they can get him on campus, if Notre Dame can get him back on campus for the blue gold game, now all of a sudden you have a shot to really close on him in May. Because he has also said to you and I that he does, like, at once his visits are over in April, it's going to, and he's down to Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Bama. That's his three. That's his trio, right? That's a pretty good group to be in. Uh, But it sounds like he's going to kind of sit down after the April visits and say, okay, where am I going? And Notre Dame has to really has to just knock that April 23rd. They got to get him back on campus, number one, Ryan. They got to knock that visit out of the park. I feel like they've put themselves within striking distance of Ohio State. I do. I still think Ohio, if I had to put money on it today, I'd probably lean towards Ohio State. But I feel like if they can get him back on on campus, uh, it's going to be a situation where he's got, they've got a chance to, 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 I mean, they've kind of just been gain and gain and gain and gain and gain. And with that great visit, it's like they could overcome it. And it's about where you finish, not where you start, Ryan, when it comes to a kid like this. Yeah, I think they've definitely have closed in the gap. I mean, I, I think that it may even be a 1A, 1B situation as it currently stands. Like, I think they've really done a great job positioning themselves against Ohio State because, I mean, he's an Ohio kid, right? So there's a little bit of an inside track for Ohio State when when they have high interest in the young man. So he reminds me a little bit of for people that want a comp to him, because me and Brian talked about he's more of a true interior player. He reminds me a little bit of Andrew Stuber that played at Michigan over the last couple of years. It's in the draft this year. So now Stuber stayed at right tackle for, for Michigan because Michigan played a lot of power football this past year. They were really a downhill type of team for a Notre Dame system that is going to spread out, spread a defense out a little bit more. I think that's why you particularly want to move a guy like um, like Saravel inside a guard, potentially maybe a Tommy Kramer is another guy that might pop into your head to a degree, another Ohio kid. So I really think that they've closed in the, closed the gap big time for a guy like a Saravel. He's got, like Brian said, a massive frame. And I think that, I think I think that the I think that the upside for him, I mean, he could be another 330 plus pound kid, kind of like I was talking with Jagason. I don't think that it's gonna like be a bad frame. He's just gonna be a massive, massive interior offensive lineman. So they put themselves in a good position, like you said, get him back on 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 uh on campus for the blue and gold game. And I think Notre Dame has a chance to close this one out if they have a big visit. Before we move on, my guy Pete Waiters has made the show. I've been talking to Pete recently. 
he's been battling cancer for two years and uh, he's still battling. So Pete, you know, I'm a big time Notre Dame fan. Uh, definitely praying for you, man. No doubt. That's why I wanted you to come here. Cause there's a lot of prayer warriors in this chat. A lot of people that are le- legitimately believe in the power of prayer. I being one of them. So glad you could join us for finally, he watches the show all the time, Ryan, but he doesn't often get a chance to make the live show. So Pete, I'm glad you're able to make the show, my man. And uh, you definitely are in our prayers, buddy. No question about it. So uh, really, really, really appreciate you being here. Ryan, another guy that I think Notre Dame has done a great job on in the last month is Sam Pendleton from North Carolina. Goes to Ronald Reagan High School. Uh, Really interesting player. He's one of those guys that that I had to watch a few times to really appreciate because when you first look at him, he just doesn't jump off the screen. It's like, wow, meaning he's not like huge. You know, he's more Jarrett Patterson type of size, Robert Hainsey type of length right now. Uh, he's, you know, he's listed at 6'4", 305. He doesn't look either one of those on film. Doesn't look like either one of those in person. He's a good, he's a much better looking kid than I thought it was going to be. I saw some of the photos from his Notre Dame visit. He's another guy that's just, he's not a big chunky kid. And Harry Eastan doesn't often recruit kids like that. Like, it's rare that he recruits kind of, you know, chubby kids. Aaron Banks being one, but that's because Aaron was just so talented and good. But he's kind of... He's a pure interior guy, which Coach Eastan doesn't often recruit. He's another one like Saraville, but you see it and you're like, okay, this kid, this kid can play. After you watch it, you're like, this kid can play because there are some things that initially pop off on film. This kid, of all the player guys on the on the board, there's three guys to me that just have a punch that's truly elite above all the others. It's it's uh, Samson Okunlola, it's Charles Jagasaw, and it's Sam Pendleton. Those kids have just natural power in their hands. You're like, if this kid was a heavyweight fighter, he's that guy you got to worry about getting that one punch and just knocking you unconscious. Like, he's just got, like, really heavy hands. And some of the things he does to kids on film that aren't exactly, like, small, you know, 185-pound defensive ends. I mean, he's there's some 230-pound kids coming off the line, and he just hits them with their hands, and it's like, I mean, they just they go back and down. I mean, it, it is it is impressive view him as a interior play at the next level, a center. Notre Dame didn't offer him till I think like March 16th. So they offered him less than a month ago. And he's one of those guys that, you know, Coach Eastan got a, got a, as soon as he arrived, he went on, okay, here's who's on the board. Let me look at the guys you guys are already on. We have to get out on the road now. Here's the guys we like. I love Jagasaw. I love Freeling. I love Absher. I love Okanola, right? So let's go see him now. And they went out and saw those guys. Then it was kind of like, okay, let's look now that we're off the road and, and you know, ro- that's parts done. Let's now start scouring film for other kids I like. And that's why you saw Elliot, uh, Elijah Page get offered later. That's why you saw Sam Pendleton get off- offered later. What's interesting is the moment they offered Sam Pendleton, they hit like the gas. I mean, it's like pedal to the metal. Let's push for this kid. Got him on campus in less than a month. And now it's it's you know it's it's Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, NC State, and Michigan are the schools. I'm sorry, Notre Dame, Clemson, Penn State, and Michigan, and NC State are the schools. I hear most associated with him. Talking to various sources, this is going to be a Notre Dame Clemson battle. We're going to talk about that right there a little quite a bit on the next couple guys as well. But Sam Pendleton is a guy that I really feel like Notre Dame put themselves in a position of. You went from not in the game to having as good of a chance as anybody. The key now, Ryan, is 
he's from talking to sources, he comes out of that visit feeling really good about Notre Dame. Now the key is when the emotion of the visit wears off, you got to make sure that you continue to remind him of, of what he likes so much in the visit. So uh, they've really, really made a move. And you had a chance to talk with him, Ryan. Is Are my sources correct? Is Has Notre Dame really put themselves in a great position where they're now right there neck and neck with Clemson for this young man? Yeah, yeah, I think I think they really have. And like you said, the kind of the little backstory on Pendleton for anybody out there that hasn't followed him too much, because, I mean, again, he's only been – uh, he's only been offered for a few weeks here now for Notre Dame. He was a player that didn't get his first scholarship offer until last September, which was during his junior season, because he's a, a player that has not gone to those rival camps, the Under Armour camps. Like he's just not a guy that's been on kind of on the media side of things. So I think he's up to like 20 something offers and those things have come since September. So they've become in fast and furious. And like Brian said, there's some high, high, um, high caliber programs that are now on, for a guy like a Sam Pendleton, he's a good football player, man. I think if there's an interior player in this class that maybe could be a guard center combo, I think personally it could be Pendleton. Cause I really do think that he, like you said, he has a great punch. I think he's a sufficient athlete, solid athlete on, on, on the, in the, in the middle there. Um, and then he is a finisher. Like I mean, he's got a really nice mentality to him that I think fits nice inside. So I, I like Pendleton a lot. I think that they're, Notre Dame is definitely in the, in the running, man. Like I think that they are on the cusp of kind of sealing that one and really turning the tide and really kind of separating themselves opposed to a Clemson. It is really interesting to see that Clemson versus Notre Dame dynamic, Brian, because I mean, the reason that we're talking about that particular battle is that three of these young men come from the Carolinas, right. Mm -hmm. That we're going to talk about next. So it's a proximity battle versus a developer battle. Like typically you would say, Notre Dame could just say, look, guys, look at this, look at this resume. The guys that mm-hmm. we have put to the NFL, like we have done this and Clemson just hasn't done the same thing. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, is Notre Dame is really hot on some of these North Carolina, South Carolina prospects on the offensive line this year. So in a typical year, I feel like a Notre Dame versus Clemson battle for offensive linemen isn't a huge talking point, but the fact that the proximity conversation comes into it, I think like that's pro- that's a big reason why these battles are occurring. Well, it's proximity, but there's a reason North Carolina is not the team that they're battling for all these kids because though because Clemson is also a team that's won two national championships in these kids' lifetime. Like like not lifetime and like they won one when they were three. Like since they've been playing football, Clemson's won two national championships combined with the proximity aspect of it. So it, it is a to me it's a I don't say bellwether, but like it's gonna be a sign of can can Harry Heestan hit the ground running and go anywhere, you know, because look, Charles Jagasaw, he should win that one. I, I think Jeff Quinn would have won that one, right? Like that's, you know, it, it's kind of like if we're going to be fair and honest and objective, we can't say, look what Harry Heastan did to land Charles Jagasaw when we didn't give Jeff Quinn the credit for getting Blake Fisher. That's one you're supposed to land, right? The the key is as far as evaluating the job the coach Heastan is doing is can you go get – two of the three kids out of Clemson's backyard. Can you go into Ohio and beat Ohio State for an alignment that they want? Those are going to be the, the the battles that are going to really tell us if Coach Eastan has been able to kind of get right back on the horse and say, you know, I'm going to be building this thing. So that's going to be the the interesting piece to this. Is there is there an issue, Ryan? You you good over there? You having some technical problems? No, no, I'm fine. Really puzzled look on your face. No, I, I was just reading the chat. The chat's always okay. interesting as usual. Yeah. That's all. Yes. Yes. Um, 
so anyway, that's my stance on on the the Clemson aspect, and not just it's not just about beating these two them for these kids and what that means for the class. It's going to be a symbol of just the power of what this staff do, has or doesn't quite have yet, because it's it's again it's going to be a thing where you're going against a regional team that is a powerhouse, right? It's not NC State. I'm not worried about NC State. I'm not. When it when it came down to you know Sullivan Abs are saying it's Notre Dame, Clemson, and NC State, I'm like, yeah, it's really Notre Dame, Clemson. All right. When I hear about you know North Carolina and NC State for Sam Pendleton, Penn State, Michigan, I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about Clemson. So that's going to make this this battle really intriguing, really intriguing. Yeah, it's it's going to be extremely interesting because. So someone just put in the chat that they think that Notre Dame is in right in second for all three. So I think it's going to be a big month, like you said, right? Like yeah. they have to continue the momentum. They have to gain some more momentum in, in a couple of regards. Well, I mean, think about who said Notre Dame's trailing all three of those. I mean, I love you, David, but come on, man. In <laughs> Anyway, um, I don't think they're trailing for all three. I think at worst they're trailing for two. At worst. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but again, it's it's going to be like with a lot of these offensive commits. Like, there are so many kids on offense right now that I'm like, I think they're going to get him. 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 I think, but they got to close. At some point in time, they got to get someone to publicly say yes. Sure. You know, and, and that's kind of the thing is, is and I think offensive line is intriguing too, because if you can get Saraveld or a Pendleton and or a Jagasaw here over the next couple weeks, or month, it starts to allow you to say, hey, look, if you really want to be part of this class, we need you to make a decision now because we've got all these other kids that are coming for officials, got all these other kids that are chomping at the bit to get on campus, but you're our guy. Do you want to be here or not? You can't do that. Same thing a receiver. You can't do those things if you have no one on board. You, you can't. And so it's like with defensive line recruiting, which we'll get into here over the next week or so. They're able to kind of Hey, you know what? You you need to make a decision because we got four guys on the board for two spots, right? So how bad do you want to be here? And, you know, I think that's that's the thing is because they already have Keon Keeley and Brennan Vernon, right? And and so that that's kind of where you kind of got to look at it and say, hey, look, this is these are ones you got to get done because these then allow you to put up the the put ramp up the pressure on the other one. So I feel really good about where Notre Dame is right now with Austin Saraveld. I feel really good about where Notre Dame is right now with Sam Pendleton. The next few are where we kind of get into some, I'm not quite sure where things stand yet. The first guy I want to talk about is Sullivan Absher. And the reason I want to talk about Sullivan Absher first is because we're trying to kind of go in somewhat of an order of guys that we think are on the verge of making decisions first. And Sullivan Absher is a guy that there's no question that his recruitment will be over in the next month or so. Right. There's very, very little doubt that his recruitment will be over the next month or so. The question, however, is is where he is. Now, some of the sources I have on the Notre Dame side have been very high on their chances for a while. Not quite as much anymore. And Ryan, you have been sort of I remember he visited back in January and, and the crystal balls that everybody loves to talk to us about started popping for him in Notre Dame. And, and at the time you were like, uh, uh, no, I don't, I don't see that yet. And that hasn't changed. This visit is going to determine whether or not Notre Dame has a chance with him. So, yeah. yes, that's a big one. He's supposed to be coming on campus on for the for the spring game. He was at Clemson this past weekend for the spring game. 
as long as they can keep him on the board for the blue goal game, that's going to be their chance to kind of to, to overcome it. Because I think he's the one for sure. I think Notre Dame is like neck and neck with Clemson on the others. This is the one to me where Clemson is the leader to me. And I believe you feel the same way at this point. Yeah, he's just he just has always seemed like a kid that I think the Notre Dame's just going to have a little bit of a difficult time getting out of the Carolinas. Like I, I just don't know why I can't exactly put a a a, a number to it. I can't put an a, like a, a substantial understanding a to it. It's a, it's a it gut. is a gut feeling. Yeah, it's it's a pulse. I mean, I the, every time I've talked to him, I think he likes Notre Dame, and I a hundred percent. I and I think that TA would be in the firm number two position for him. I just personally think that Clemson is the clear leader here, like clear, you know, and I, I, I think that Notre Dame can close the gap potentially, but right now I, I just don't feel positive about Sullivan Absher ending up in the class. And I really like Sullivan Absher as a football player. People have followed the message board or just some of the content that I've written about the offensive line class. I think Sullivan Absher's a, a very promising interior guard, uh, guard spot because I think that he can play tackle in a pinch, but I think he could be a really good football player in that guard at the next level because I think he plays with outstanding pad level. He has some physicality to him. He's got a really nice frame where I think he could play well over 300 print very easily and very shortly into his college career. So I like Sullivan Absher a ton, Brian. I just I continue to just feel that I think Notre Dame is running a clear second here for Absher. I think Notre Dame is looking at him as a as a tackle first. That that is that is the one thing I am confident on. Now, whether or not we think he can play tackle or not, Notre Dame's viewing him as a tackle. That's how they're recruiting him right now. I tend to agree with you. I don't know if I love him in space as a tackle. That that's my that's my question at this point in time. But he's a good football player. And it's clear why Notre Dame likes him. But this is one, Ryan, it's pretty simple. When it comes to Sullivan Absher, it's going to come down to you have to you have to hit an absolute grand slam home run on the visit. And I think Notre Dame has done everything that they can. I just think it's one of those ones like like you're talking about. It's I think he likes Notre Dame a lot. I think he's got a million reasons to go Notre Dame. I just think some kids just don't want to go far away from home. And there's nothing you can do about that. And so I think Notre Dame has done everything they can with Sullivan Absher. This visit's going to be about you make the trip with your family, you come up, and you and you convince you know you 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 tell yourself, can I? Or you ask yourself, can I see myself making this trip and being this far away from home? And if you can, then I think that's how Notre Dame overcomes it. If you can't, then he's going to pick Clemson. And I think that's what Notre Dame's task is: is we got to make him feel comfortable about being away from home. That's going to be the big key for him. And and so that's that's going to be the challenge. And if they can overcome that, then I think they have a chance to add him. I think if we were talking about sort of based on the people that I talk to, the sources that I have, if you were going to put together like an ideal class for Notre Dame, there's three guys that I feel pretty comfortable would be in that class. Because I think there's some people, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that are pushing for 5-0 linemen. That's how recruiting works, right? Like the defensive coaches want 5-D linemen. The offensive coaches want five offensive linemen. It's the job of the head coach and the recruiting coordinator. And then the coordinators are two sides saying, nope, you can only go here. But I do think there there is a push to try to get a fifth lineman. But there's three guys that I, I can confidently say that I think Notre Dame really wants in the class. And that is Jagasaw, obviously, Monroe Freeling, who we're going to talk about in a minute, and then Absher, Sullivan Absher. I, I do think because, because he is that guy that can play outside and inside, where the first two guys we talked about are just inside guys. 
and, and they, Notre Dame loves both of those kids, but it's just kind of like along that lines of needing tackles. That's why I think those guys are prioritized because they are tackles first, mm-hmm. which gets, which makes it pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, and you and that's kind of the formula that you always want because it's always guys can develop from the outside in. Like that's kind of the transitions that you usually see. You don't see guys build from the inside to go outside, right? Like you just don't see that because you need, you need foot quickness to play on mm-hmm. the outside. You need length in most circumstances. There's some guys in kind of, overcompensate for a lack of length outside, but you need those traits and you can always develop a power profile. You can always get bigger. You can always get stronger. Like those things are semi more of unteachables um, or teachables, I should say. Mm -hmm. But I really do think that those three guys, what is all consistent across the board with Freeling, Jagasaw and Absher is that they're all six, six plus kids with good length that could play on the offense at offensive tackle at worst. Then they could transition inside the guard, but you need to get, in my opinion, two out of three. You have to because then you're talking again about the pure interior players, which are going to be valuable, there's no doubt, but we've talked about why it's so important to get offensive tackles in this class because you have to start planning for a couple years from now when there's a potential for Alt and Fisher to both be out the door. So before we move on to the the next guy, Ryan, I did want to get to a couple things here real quick. We had a super chat from Randy Hernandez. So Randy, thank you for that. He's talking about Austin Cerebell here. He says he lives in Cincinnati. The kid is so huge and dominates at almost every game. Now, there's no doubt he he can dominate with size alone. I mean, just he's just one of those big kids. And and honestly, that's why at first I didn't necessarily – I had to watch. He's another one I had to watch a few times because it's like, okay, I see him pushing people around, but let me look at the feet, let me look at the hips and all that. And he's another guy that the more you watch him, the more you like him. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of always that way with linemen, to be honest with you. Like I, I have to – because I'm not a natural offensive line coach or evaluator, you know, I'm a quarterback guy, I have to break linemen down into different parts when I watch them. So it's not like a receiver where I can just kind of see it all kind of as one or quarterback where I see it all as one. I have to break them down. So it's not abnormal that I have to watch a kid a few times. So don't take that as if like they're they're offering a bunch of okay kids. That's just that's a Brian Driscoll problem, not a Notre Dame problem, right? But that's just kind of how it is. But sometimes, I mean, you'll get those guys like Monroe Freeling, you watch the first time you watch him, like, okay, yeah, this guy's really good. But those are the elite of the elite, right? Samson Okanlola, you don't have to watch a ton of film on. Jagasaw, you don't have to watch a ton of film on. But most guys, you once you get out, it's like the top, the guys with the really high ceilings or for the five star kids. It, it it just for me, it takes some more work. So that's when people understand that. But the, he is a, I mean, he's a dominant kid. And I think that's something that I think is intentional about this board, Ryan. If you look at a lot of the guys on the board that we're talking about, from Jagasaw to Saraveld to Pendleton to Absher, those four guys are all physical. I mean, they had they play with some demeanor. Like what's funny is when you look at Sullivan Absher, he's got like this, like, you know, kind of curly hair, and he, you know, looks like a kid that I would expect to kind of be surfing. He's got a baby face. He just like when you just see him from like up here, he looks like a little kid. He's got a real young looking face. And and he's a he's got a little bit of a soft body to be honest with you. He's of, of all the kids on the board, he's probably got the worst looking body. He's got like a little pudgy. Then you want to pop on the film and you're like, okay, this kid has some attitude. This is a physical kid that likes to get after it. I mean, he Selvin Absher is a is a real physical kid. Austin Saraved Saraveld really physical, really nasty. Sam Pendleton really physical, 
really nasty. Charles Jagasol, really physical, really nasty. That's not a coincidence, Ryan, because that's something that I believe the current staff feels that the offensive line is missing. There's not enough of that. You know, there's too many guys that we got that Notre Dame coaches feel they got to kind of put a foot up there, you know, what's to get them to play physical, or they're just more athletic kind of finesse players because that's what Jeff Quinn coached. That's just, that's who he was. That's what he wanted. He stands trying to quickly change that with the first class. And I think that's why you're seeing so many of these kids like Saravel, like Pendleton, like Absher, that are just, you know, Randy's words dominates. And it, it's that's what he's looking for. It, it, there's no, there, it can, to me, there can be no coincidence about that, Ryan, is that every kid on the board that he's recruiting is at least a very good run blocker, in my opinion, that plays with some nastiness. I feel like some people take for granted the foot quickness that like Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey had at their positions because they just knew the demeanor that they played with, right? Like those were nasty dudes in the trenches, but the requisite and someone put it in there, the heat, the heat standard, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what they need. They need quick feet and you need a demeanor. There is no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And that's the change here, right? Like all these guys consistently across the board for the most part are very physical players, which is why, despite Charles Jackson having the length and the athleticism to play outside. We're also talking about like the fact that he could be a guard because he just plays so physically. So nasty is another word that I just saw in the chat. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is the standard for what Notre Dame is and has been and needs to get back to. No doubt about it. Nashley Hill said that uh, get to 150 likes. I'll do a $15 super chat, smash that like button, go Irish. And, Ashley actually jumped in early. He gave us a $20 super chat uh, before we even got to 150. We're at 112 based on what I'm seeing right now. Uh, but he says, I believe this offense is going to be explosive. And to me, it, it, it could be, Ashley. It's going to come down to what happens up front. And I think that's the standard that Harry Heastan is trying to, to, to bring back. And as we kind of look at that, and again, Ashley, thank you very, very much for that super chat. I appreciate that very, very much. I think for me, Ryan, the guy Jagasaw is like there's there's a one A and a one B for me, and you can figure out whichever one you want that are musts for Notre Dame in this class. And the other guy for me, we talked about Jagasaw for obvious reasons. He's talented, he's local, he's such a great Notre Dame fit. High academics, Catholic kid, um, just doesn't like a lot of the showmanship of it, all that kind of, he's not, you know, out there looking for NIL deals. He's just looking for a place where he can, you know, be a kid and go play football and get a great education. Great fit for Notre Dame. Makes sense why he would be on that group too. And super talented. The other one that, that they have to get, I mean, he is a must get. In my opinion, you could argue that of the of the kids on the, on the board that are committed, he's in the top five of must gets. And that's Monroe Freeling from South Carolina. He is the left tackle that they have a shot at. And and he is a legit top 100 player. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the cl- in the country. Because he's like, some of them have him outside the top 100. The people that have him inside have him, have him borderline top 100. I think he's more of a borderline top 50 guy right now with an even higher ceiling. This kid is outstanding. And Notre Dame had him on campus in January. This is one, and I talked about this in the hot board, Ryan, as far as who's leading, it depends on who you talk to. There's people around Clemson that think they're going to get them. 
there's people in Notre Dame that think they're going to get them. There's also some people in Notre Dame that aren't as high on their chances as others. So I hear it from there's some couple people I know on the Clemson side that are real nervous about Notre Dame. What I know is, is that I've talked to multiple people that have seen him at camps and they say every time he gets interviewed afterwards, Notre Dame's the school he constantly brings up without even often being asked about Notre Dame. That's a good sign for me, but it's been a minute since he's been on campus. He's gone to Clemson. He's gone to Florida. He's gone to Miami. He's becoming a, a, a big time target for all those schools Notre Dame is going to get him back on campus in uh, for the blue gold game. He is he is then planning to take officials in the summer, mm-hmm. right? So this is not a recruitment that is going to most likely be over unless Notre Dame can convince him otherwise at the blue gold game. But I don't think I don't think they're going to try to push him to make a decision now. They understand this is what he wants, but the reality is when you look at Whenever it happens, whether it's the summer, whatever, he's he's a guy they have to get. They have to be in this one for the long haul because he's too good and he's too good of a fit for Notre Dame for them to miss on this one. And look, the the, the when you look at what Clemson has produced in the offensive line and what Harry Heastan has rec- re, re, you know produced in the offensive line, it's not even close. It's mm-hmm. not even close. Yeah, and I saw someone just ask. Um, Monroe Freeling is from South Carolina, which is again, that's the proximity conversation to Clemson. But he's only right? lived there since 2016, yes. which happens to be about when Clemson became a powerhouse. So he's only the, the reason I say that is not be, it, it can be looked at two ways, Ryan. One is, well, he's not like a born and raised, you know, Clemson Tiger. The other way to look at it is he's only known this version of Clemson. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like true. He, to him, Clemsoning is not something he's aware of because he didn't grow up with that. He moved there the year they won the title. <laughs> I mean, it's like this is all he's known is Clemson being an elite program. So there's two ways to look at that. Um, somebody just said that that Freeling reminds me of McGlinchey. Uh, big guy's a natural left tackle. I actually think he reminds me more of Ronnie Stanley. I, I never felt McGlinchey was a natural left tackle. Mm-hmm. I always felt McGlinchey was a good left tackle. That was his best moments in college, in my opinion, were in 2014, 15 as a right tackle. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he, size-wise, reminds me a lot of Ronnie at the same age. 6'7", 285. 285 because he plays basketball. Yeah. When he stops playing basketball – and you see the great feet on the court, just like you did with Ronnie, who played at Bishop Gorman, played basketball at Bishop Gorman. Once he stops playing basketball, it's going to be 305, 310, 315 quickly. And, and just the natural feel for being in space. And that's the thing I love about kids that, like, there's value to being a wrestler. And there's value to being like a shot putter and a, and a discus thrower. There's value to that for linemen. But for me, when we're talking about a left tackle, I would. Lo- I always like. Did he play basketball? Did he play basketball? I don't know if Joe Walt played basketball, but like you look at like Ronnie Stanley, guys like that. You know, it just you get a chance to see their feet, and you know they're going to be good in space. And that's the thing I love about Monroe Freeling is you can see that athleticism. I think his body type and his athleticism. I'd even argue that he's even more athletic than Ronnie was at the same age. I think he's a better prospect than Ronnie was at the same age. But that's who his game reminds me the most of is is Ronnie Stanley, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, man, he's got the unteachables, like 6'7". Mm-hmm. He's got length. 
incredibly explosive athlete. Like if you watch him play basketball, he's got some silly dunks on film. And I don't know if you saw the video yesterday he posted, Brian, of him uh, doing a 30, 30 inch vertical at that size too. And he actually went 30 foot vertical at first. So I was like, Oh, that's not, that's not feet. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's an explosive bouncy, good feet. Like there's a lot to like with Monroe Freeling. And I have been on the wavelength, same wavelength as you, as far as I think he's a top 50 player in the class. I really do, man. I think he has substantial upside as a very good blindside protector at the next level. Not, not only, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a almost a, I don't want to say ready-made kid because he definitely needs to obviously add that weight. And like you said, I think he's going to be able to do that very quickly as soon as he stops playing basketball, but a high upside kid, high upside. I am in the one group. And I know you mentioned there's a couple different groups to, of the feeling of how Notre Dame stands with Monroe Freeling. I still think they're in the lead for him. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it's a substantial lead. I'm not. I think that Clemson has done a great job, but I really do think that they are the final two. And Monroe has taken a lot of visits. I think he just got back from Stanford. Education is just so important to him. I think that mm-hmm. that's going to be a big cog into the the decision when everything is said mm-hmm. and done. So I think Notre Dame is in good spot with Monroe Freeling. I think that they're not distanced enough from Clemson because if again, it, it's more like a one A one B type of conversation. So. They need to knock the the visit out of the park because Clemson could easily overtake it and go the other opposite direction, in my opinion. But Monroe Freeling is a musket for Notre Dame in the class, in my opinion. One of the questions was from Keith Wiegand was, where is he from before moving to South Carolina? I believe it was Oregon, correct? Wasn't his family living in Oregon? Yeah, I had, in a, I had it in one He's of my pieces. It was, quite a bit. Yeah, it was definitely out west. Yes, I, I think it was – Oregon. I'm going to go take a look, yeah. but yeah, he, he discussed that with me before. So to me, I mean, again, we don't anticipate him making a decision after the blue gold game, but he's one of those guys that you just, you, you hope that coming out of that visit, the hope I think for me, Ryan, is that Notre Dame is able to, to really cement themselves as the team to be, because I think if they can really do that, I just don't see the other schools having enough to overcome them then that, that, that would be my thing. And, and I think the angle Notre Dame is going to start pushing, especially with how good Joe Alt has been in, in, in the spring, is, hey, look, man, <laughs> we're going to probably lose our tackles after your freshman year. We're probably going to lose both our tackles after your freshman year. There's a chance because of the of, – you know, of the two the, – it's interesting. Of the two, you, you wonder, like, which one would – you know, if one was going to come back, and you say, well – could that fit factor into where Monroe Freeling plays? No, I don't think so. Cause I think if Joe Alt is the one that comes back for a senior year, he's going to stay at left tackle. And I think the only way you'd be able to convince Blake Fisher to come back for a senior year, if Joe Alt left would be to move him to left tackle. And so, you know, either he's stepping into left tackle, Monroe Freeling is battling to step into left tackle because they lost both their tackles, or he's going to get to do what a lot of other guys have done in their name, Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey, where he's going to, and Liam Eikenberg too, although he never started a right tackle, but he played right tackle in, in the year before he took over as a starter, is start at right tackle and then eventually move as you get older to left tackle. Either way, the selling point Notre Dame has is you've got a legitimate chance to come in here and and after your, you know, pull, you know grow as a freshman, but then year two, you're, you're stepping in, you're going to have a chance to step in the starting lineup. I think that has to be, that has to be to me part of the conversation, Ryan, with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's it's and it's good trajectory, right? Like it reminds me of 
although it hasn't really worked out to the best degree, but like DJ Uyunglele at Clemson, right? It's like you're going to sit behind Trevor Lawrence for one year, and then you are the guy, and obviously that has not worked out for him, but that trajectory I think really does work out, and I think that you can paint the picture that like, hey, man, all the things that Monroe Freeling values, being developed properly on the football field, getting a great education, all those things are present at Notre Dame, and you may have a track, a projection to being the next left tackle at Notre Dame after only one season. So I think there's a lot of things that that Notre Dame could offer to Freeling, and I think that Freeling is very, very intrigued by everything that Notre Dame kind of sells to him. And I would like to say that the one big thing too, Brian, is I think that they were doing an okay job with him before Coach Heastand yes. kind of came aboard. But I think that they've done a much better job since Coach Heastand has come aboard. Because Coach yeah. Heastand, one of the first things he did was he went out to his basketball practice and visited him, him and his coach at the school. So there was very high interest early. And I think that Coach Heastand and the staff quickly decided, like, this is a priority. This kid is, is one of the priorities in the class. So, again, I think they're in a good spot. But that blue gold visit is going to be paramount to knock that one yeah. out of the park. Yeah, no question about it. There's three other guys on the board that we'll just talk about briefly. Number one is the guy that everyone wants to talk about is, is for a long time is Samson Okunlola. Like Ryan, you and I have had a million conversations about Samson Okunlola, and they always go like this. Have you talked to him about setting up a visit? Yeah, he hasn't talked to Notre Dame about that. Yeah, he's not really thinking about that. Yeah, he hasn't done anything yet. The reality is his actions speak louder than words. And I can read all the stories I want about a committed player is locked in 100% to Notre Dame, but as long as they're still taking visits, especially visits that they don't tell the staff about, you know that that's going to mean more to me than you saying you're 100% locked in, right? It's the same thing with these kind of kids. It's like Samson Okanola can say he's he's interested. And, and we were hearing this about the Toviano kid, the cornerback from Texas. There was – Oh, he may do an official visit. Well, he never told the Notre Dame coaches that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he may tell some other recruiting service guy that, but if he if he's not talking to Notre Dame coaches, then it doesn't matter. If a kid like like Samson Oklahoma is going to come out to the Midwest from Massachusetts and go to Michigan and Michigan State and 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 have no interest in making a visit to Notre Dame, and you look at the other schools on this list, and it's like Georgia, Ohio State, that's just a kid that even though everything about him checks the Notre Dame box he doesn't see himself at Notre Dame. So right now he's on the cool list for us, meaning there's just not a lot there. There's not a lot of interest there. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on him until he puts his feet on the ground in South Bend, Indiana for a visit, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it, it's been like that pretty much since the first time I, I talked to him, right? Because it's like he didn't have too much of an understanding as far as Coach he stands reputation. I don't think that he's really – taken the onus to really develop that relationship, you know, and, and every single time, I mean, like it's been like literally three times in the last like week and a half that I've reached out to him. It's just, have you, you know, just wondering if you've kind of talked to Notre Dame about setting up a visit. Nope. Haven't nothing, nothing in the cards. Right. And, and the thing about him too, Brian, is that he's planning on taking three officials during the season. So you're starting to run out of opportunities here, man. Like you're, right. it's, it's going to happen. And even if he takes an official to Notre Dame, the fact that he hasn't made a, a, concerted effort to get on campus this preseason is right. very concerning to me. Like I just, right. It, it's just like not you said, you said it really key thing, right? Have you talked to Notre Dame about setting up a visit? No, it's not even like, like Jason Moore, for example, has not been able to get to Notre Dame in spring. 
But him yeah. and Notre Dame have had constant conversations about it. It's just been a scheduling thing. It's look, his brother's in the tournament. His mom's got to be with the brother. And the NCAA tournament beginning in early March goes – it's every weekend. You're playing on the weekends. You can't travel for visits on the weekend if you want to take your mother with you, right? And that's an important thing for like Jason Moore. So you can look at it and say, okay, I understand why he hasn't been on campus, right? There's other kids you look at and say, okay – I get why that kid, he's from here. I know his family situation. I understand why they can't pony up and pay to come on a visit because not every family can afford to go from South Florida or Texas or California or Oregon or, or you know, places that aren't a drive to Notre Dame because everything has to be paid for by the family. I get that, especially now when everything costs so dang much and you're paying, you know, four, five, six, seven dollars per gallon of gas. Understand it completely. But when you're not even having conversations about visiting, you're not interested in Notre Dame. And that's just the reality of it. And, and like you said, he already made a Midwest tour, right? And Notre Dame was not right. on that docket. So <laughs> right. I mean, that, if, if you want any, was like two and a half, three hours away from South Bend, that, you know. If, if you want any other proof, like that's the proof for right. you. You know, he went to right. Michigan. He went to Michigan State. I understand that those are more proximity than compared right. to Notre Dame. But if you're making the Midwest swing, man, why can't you stop by Notre Dame? It's just all public schools. If you look at his list, it's all public schools. And sometimes with kids that go to a private school, like a guy like Samson or Jack Charles Jagasaw, he likes that Notre Dame reminds him so much of his private school that he goes to. Other guys are that way. I think Keon Keeley's that way. Some kids are like, I, and I'll be honest, I'm sympathetic to this because I went to a private school my last two years of high school. It was a it was a private school where you either went to the local church or you were an athlete. I fell into the athlete category. I hated wearing khaki. I mean, you guys see how I dress for the show. I wear hoodies and T-shirts almost all the time. Uh, I hated wearing khakis and a polo every day. I want. I didn't want to go to a private school, you know what I mean? Like, or at least like one like that. Like I was looking for something different. And now in colleges don't do that. Like Liberty did that when I was, you know, in, in high school, but I don't know if they still do that. But the point is some kids are just like, I want something different than what I've been doing in high school. Jagasaw strikes me as one of those kind of kids. It's like the fact that Notre Dame is a lot like his high school in regards to high academics, all that is sounds like it's, it's hurt, hurting him. Cause I mean, you're going to go to Michigan state uh, instead of going to, cause like, it's not that big of a deal to go from Ann Arbor to South Bend and then back home to Massachusetts. It's not, you know, I mean, it, it, so when you're, when you're making that trip and you go to Michigan state instead of Notre Dame, that to me sends a message. And in, in my opinion, that, that you're just not, um, you're just not all that interested in Notre Dame, Brian. Yeah. I, I know. I know we don't want to stay too, too long on it, Brian, but like I, I asked him about the trip to Notre Dame and I didn't even had I didn't know at the time that he was at the Mich- Michigan Michigan State the two days prior. And he's like, oh no, I haven't really thought about it. I haven't really given it much concern. And he made it sound like I'm still figuring out visits. And then it turns out he went to Michigan Michigan State the right. two previous days. I'm like, oh, right. well, that's all I needed to know. Right. You didn't have to tell me anything else. It's not an anti-visit thing. It's an anti Notre Dame thing. Another guy that's on the board for Notre Dame, and this one's a little bit different. That's Elijah Page from Phoenix. Now we had him on the cool area from our 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 hot board today, which you can find at irishbreakdown.com. The reason for that is, is he's still really in the infancy stages of his recruitment with a lot of schools, Brian. Uh, Notre Dame has already set up an official visit for him. I believe it's going to be at the end of June. So that's what we talked about, right? Like there's communication. Hey, let's set up this visit. That's a kid that can't go from Phoenix to South Bend on his own dime right now, right? For whatever reason, whether it's scheduling or, 
whatever the reason, that's just one that can't happen. But he's already set up an official visit to Notre Dame, right? So uh, now part of that's going to depend on how does the line recruiting shake out. I know Notre Dame likes him. I know he likes Notre Dame. It's just still kind of in the early phases in regards to uh, him just getting out and visiting a, a place like Notre Dame. But if if they have a spot and he's still interested come June, that's one that I think a visit could have a big impact on. Yeah, I would be really interested to see Elijah Page in person, honestly, because on film he looks like a long, pretty athletic kid who – I think he's more of a right tackle versus a left tackle than you said before, but he's a very intriguing player. And obviously his biggest thing is that, you know, Arizona to Notre Dame is is pretty good trip. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's not an easy, it's not an easy trip to make. So I think that there is interest on both sides. Like you said, it just isn't far along right now, just because he hasn't been able to make the trip. Notre Dame hasn't been on him for an incredibly long time. This is a wait and see type of process for an mm-hmm. Elijah Page in Notre Dame. The other kid is Nigia Harris, who is a guard from IMG Academy. He's on the board. They're talking to him. I think that's one that – that's kind of a let's see how things shake out with some of these other linemen. You know, let's – if you're Notre Dame, it's, it's you know, looking at it from their standpoint, let's see how things go with Pendleton and Saraveld and Absher and these guys first. If they miss on a lot of those guys or all those guys, then you'll see them really ramp up with a guy like Harris. But right now he's sort of a let's see how things are going in this regards. Yeah. He's an interesting player. I, I, I look forward to seeing if Notre Dame does make any type of push. I mean, ho- hopefully Notre Dame isn't missing on guys, which is going to make that push happen. Mm-hmm. But he reminds me a little bit of Cesar Ruiz that used to play with Michigan and kind of played a little bit of guard, but played mostly during his career at center. So I think he's got some tools to work with, but obviously he's another guy that's a wait and see type of situation for Notre Dame at IMG. 